So Patty, I've been looking forward to this conversation with Thomas Moore for a while, because as you know, I love talking about this kind of dilemma of right. ISV, ISO. How do we bring these worlds together? How do we get agents to sell ISV? So we started off with that interview uh, with Thomas Moore. Where we talk about these challenges and how to really conquer these challenges over the next year. We also then, I just kind of continued the conversation on with my monologue and then talking with you about um, the, you know, why agents don't sell for ISBs and how they need to reposition these opportunities in their mind in order to take advantage of the huge benefits. And the um, economics of it all. You know, yes. I mean, I think that's the thing that people really do lose sight of. Which yeah, I absolutely. Think impressed upon in that in your dialogue. And then um, I talk about, um, you know, the economy, some really promising economic figures from the um, year end holiday shopping season. And um course our uh, episode today i'd like to give a shout out to our sponsor nmi you can visit them online at nmi.com excellent well let's start our interview with thomas let's do it welcome to the merchant sales podcast hey everybody patty and i are here today with thomas moore who is the vp of business development at payark how are you doing today thomas doing awesome guys thank you so much for having me patty and james oh thank you for being here yeah so I love this topic today. We're talking about partnering with technology companies, which I think is on everybody's mind as they get into 2023 and kind of making these plans for the year. Uh, you know, technology is at the core of this. And we're going to talk about kind of partnering with technology companies, both directly as an ISO and then also kind of leveraging the agent distribution. So I'm super excited to talk about this one with you today, Thomas. But before we dive into all that, give us your story. Um, you know, how long have you been in the payments industry? How did you get into this crazy business? And then what's kind of been your journey to the role that you're in now? Yeah, absolutely. So I was I was fortunate enough uh, during my time in school to meet and befriend some some very influential people um, that play um, you know within this business. So when I had graduated, I had kind of a rock, a rocky start um, in an industry I was pursuing at that time. And then I you know I phoned a friend, a uh, really good friend in this space. He, he brought me into um, Chase J P Morgan actually to kind of cut my teeth um, as a digital channel SDR role. Um, so, and this is back wow. in 2012, 2013. So yeah, early very, quick, very quickly bit into this space, found a joy, found an aberration for this industry at large. I saw with so many different, you know, innovative, albeit smaller organizations, you know, these, these, um, ISO players, um, you know, were, were, were doing, um, in this space. And so over the years, I kind of moved up laterally over, et cetera, to sort of new opportunities, um, as it were. And then I landed in arguably, one of the more interesting roles that I've had to date, uh, working with then First Data, now, now Pfizer, um, within their ISO channel. And then that role, I, I managed some other um, ISO partnerships there. And so the perspective I gathered there um, is overseeing some of these partnerships, big to small, medium, kind of all, all, all sizes um, that, you know, represented different parts of the country, operating in different markets and different economies. These guys, they really highlighted the notion that like, hey, this is this is what's working, right, for, right. for, for big growth. And then these other guys, this is maybe what sort of business as usual. So this is in, in terms of an ISO really trying to, to differentiate themselves, right? So um, so that perspective was was so valuable. Um, from that role, I eventually ended up going to work for one of my clients. Uh, they were a very unique client. They were more kind of what you'd consider like an ISV, but then they actually brought the payment processing in-house. They were kind of ISV ISO. Um, and, um, you know, I, I, I helped build out and, and, and manage all the integrated partnerships in um, the sales channels for that company, had great success uh, with that team and took some of those ideas um, for building out ISV um, channels um, over to uh, the talented team we have at PayArc. I began leading that channel um, a little bit earlier this year, uh, back in July. 
Wow, that's awesome. So I, I love I love this conversation. As you know, I we talked a while it's ago. One about, of James's I, favorites. Yeah, I just love this. I, I feel like I live this conversation all day, every day. Um, my first question for you, Thomas, is in your experience, you know, both at, at Fiserv and then now Payark and, and other companies in the industry, I see a lot of ISVs that are becoming ISOs, a lot of ISVs that are becoming Payfax, right? What I don't see is a lot of ISOs who are successfully making technology kind of the core and becoming the ISV, buying the technology company, hiring the developers, or even establishing like really good partnerships with technology companies. And so in your experience, why is this? Why has our industry and kind of the ISO in general, why has the ISO model kind of struggled to bring these worlds together? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And, and I'm, I think, and I'm sure I'll say this again later in the podcast, there's a lot of emphasis, but with the way that I've seen so many ISOs, they have agent channels, the way that they go to market to acquire this agent talent, I think a lot of them have, you know, advertised this. We have this frictionless, white-labeled, you know, data-heavy wholesale payments platform in which you, the agent, you know, can run your business, which is great. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but I, I feel like I've seen many of them do it without a heavy emphasis on on partnership and a preferred relationship with that agent, as if they were a W two sales employee, right? And so, while that's important, I think that there's a precedent being set here that you know, this wholesale, we stay out of your way, we just get the deals boarded platform. That mentality, I think it it makes it difficult to then sort of expect to try to reposition your sales agents to get them excited about some company driven that is processor driven initiative like let's get together and go after some integrated merchant accounts for this isv partner that we have internally right so i think you know there's a precedent that should be set early like at the time you're bringing on um let's say a 1099 agent and say hey we have an integrated partner channel we have a list here it caters to certain verticals we'd love to expand their footprint which of course in turn expands the collective merchant portfolio right um, and so, you know, and we'll get you literature and we'll get you, edu- um, we'll get you some education around these partners. And, uh, and of course, we're going to pay you for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with the technology companies. Let's, let's hone in on that for a minute, you know, in terms of creating partnerships, how do you find and partner with good technology companies? And what are some of the challenges that you've had to overcome in order to yeah. do this? Yeah, so I think in, in, in most of the ch- time, the, the challenges, and this is me putting on my SDR hat, just from a sales perspective, <laughs> has been honestly getting your foot in as a sales agent, getting your foot in the door with one of these tech companies. In, in this case, you know, the, the ISV, right, in this context, um, I find targeting an ideal customer or merchant profile um, that is leveraging, you know, a particular platform within an industry that that agent is putting heavy sales resources into. That's a great first step. Right. I think so often it takes a mutual client to help knock on that door. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think structuring some type of incentivized relationship with that merchant, um, if they're going to guinea pig this process for you, for example, uh, first month of free processing or a terminal or some sweetheart deal on rates, whatever it is, um, leveraging some creativity here could help land a meaningful discussion um, with that upstream tech partner. And in a warmer context, right, than just the cold outreach, right, that we see so often. And, and hopefully that'll you know get you a seat. Um, at the partnership table. Um, also, I'll say something that has helped me previously, and again, this is in a sales capacity, is is, is not to be afraid to to pad the ISV prospects uh, with some referrals, even before you've inked a deal. Um, mm. I've done so many deals doing this. If you have a network of relevant folks that you could at least send over to the prospect for a demo at the very least, that's so helpful in building sort of this relationship, building this rapport, sure. keeping your name relevant, um, even, more, even before signing them as an ISV client. I mean, if you really want the partnership, this shows you're invested and you're eager and you're willing to make this a two-way street. And I think it's a great indicator of this type of partnership that your team can offer. 
Yeah, it's a great wow. message, actually, you know, yeah. because it shows that you're really committed to it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that was okay. Let me let me see if I can unpack some of that because you just said a lot of stuff that's really good, actually. <laughs> so I want to actually go back for one minute to this this you know first question we kind of asked. So what I heard you say there is that the one of the big challenges that the ISOs have is that we have kind of created this model of minimal control over the sales channel. Yes. The 99 contractor come on board turnkey solution. We don't bother you. You don't bother us. Is kind of been the the mantra. And now we're at this turning point where the ISOs actually need to execute a strategy and they need the agents to execute it. So the agents need to be trained. They need to be supported. They need to have marketing materials. They need to understand what they're talking about. And there's really no infrastructure to facilitate that because there's no infrastructure to facilitate that. It's the idea we're going to leave you alone, you leave us alone. So I think what I hear you saying is, the ISOs that are going to be successful moving forward are be, are going to begin to shift that paradigm in 2023 and beyond to say, well, hold on a minute. No, partnering with us as a 1099 means more than just we give you slick technology and leave you alone. It means we resource you with what you need. Is that kind of what you were saying? Is there anything you kind of yeah. add to that? That was very, very well well put. And I, I think we have to be careful too, because, you know, these guys come on the, the nature of 1099 is you don't necessarily have directional control over their right. sales activities, obviously. Right. Right? Like legally you don't. Well, right. Of course. And, and then it's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's just, that's just not, that's just right. not how we do and that's this. That's not what they're looking for. Yeah. That's not what they're looking for. So to bring them on to, to, to be able and, and kind of think of like a knowledge hub, think of, you know, just a resource sort of dictionary and, and to say these, we're, we're going to spend the money and the resources as the payment processor to to showcase you know all of the different bells and whistles that our integrated partners can offer, um, and and really talk about the benefits and the advantages of moving into more of an integrated, much more sticky space outside of just the widget sales, which a lot of guys are, are fantastic at. Um, but we're going to give you all the tools that if you want to pivot into a more vertically focused approach in sales, we've got all these partnerships that can mm. help you sort of augment the way you're right. Love it. So yeah. then the next thing we talked about and, and, you know, Patty and you were talking about there was one of the best ways to find those ISBs. It sounded like you were saying for maybe the agent of the ISO is, okay, let's go find a vertical that we want to go after yes. where maybe we have some connections, go to a software company and just go ahead and start working with them. You know, give them some, Hey, here's, here's some restaurants that would like a demo of your software. I'm sure we'll find a way to work together to get these deals done, but can we demo and see where we're at kind of right. Kind of showing like, wow, I've got all this extra distribution. I'd love to share that distribution with you. Is that kind of what you were describing there? Yes. Yeah. And it's, you know, just imagine at this point, again, I, I don't, there's some areas of this, of, of these, of these spaces, certainly point of sale in a lot of the restaurant areas that are, that are, that are locked up. They're very saturated. Right. Mm -hmm. But then some of these other more like emerging verticals and you think you're the first to it, but you're not. And so, You know, you're sitting there waiting in line with 30 other vendors to to, you know, hey, can you take a look at the opportunity that I might be bringing to you so we can get into a sprint and maybe do a deal. Right. Um, Of course, it's important for some of these guys to be diversified in their in in their processing partners, but it's difficult to stand out. And so what I have found absolutely um, is, you know, you have a network if you have a connection. um, I know that's not everybody, but it is it, it means a lot when you're you're sort of pushing and funneling some of these opportunities upstream to that desired prospect that you ultimately want to talk to. um, And it just keeps you front and center and it definitely keeps you relevant. I'm so glad you brought it up. I I actually don't think we've ever talked about it on the, on the podcast, but ironically um, that is how I actually got almost every deal that I did before with it, because what I would do it, you know, my, my skill, you know, sort of been 
you know, eight, eight, nine, 10 years ago, um, you know, I was really good at sales. So I would go just sell merchants, you know, knock on their door, call them. You know, I had uh, uh, telemarketers that would call where you do, you know, marketing or whatever, right? So if I wanted to go sell a software company that was targeting nail salons, well, I would just go out and find seven or eight nail salons and say, don't you wish you had online appointment scheduling? You know, like, don't you realize that you need that? Yes. Okay, great. Well, I have a company that I'm working on partnering with right now. And I'd like to, and so I would get them excited about it before I even talk to the tech company. And you're leveraging all these opportunities to help right. you at the front of the line. Absolutely. Yep. And, what, and what I found was me as a salesperson trying to call an ISB and get through to somebody, nearly impossible. These seven businesses, well, they just get right through. And they, oh, yeah. you know, right. And it's like, I've got these seven that are interested. However, I do want to make sure I'm doing the processing. So before I even introduce you to these seven, I'll give you the, you know, the, the broad strokes. I'm not going to give you the details. I've got seven. I want to make sure we're going to be able to at least talk about working together, you know, and that was the, absolutely. that's the leverage, right. That you need. So it is absolutely the leverage. I think that you, you absolutely need. And, and then, you know, being sure that, cause there's so many, so many different options out there for these, you know, these, these different markets that you can look at. It's going to be a lot more challenging to get into the restaurant space, the retail space, than perhaps the online lending space, the space that I'm very, uh, that I've worked with in for some years. So I'm very familiar right. with um, you know, so, so just kind of knowing what you're, what you're looking for, then to your point, kind of cultivating relevancy yeah. in the conversation. Doesn't that also knowing what you're looking for also is, you know, becomes important to sort of like keep you at the front of the pack, so to speak. Right. I mean, yes. um, you know, and, 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 and showing that you have these partners, you know, you already have these clients or these prospects, right. you know, is like, you know, putting a gold star <laughs> on your forehead, right? Absolutely. Because you're getting to the front and you're saying, oh, and by the way, here's what I can bring to this relationship, which makes it, you know, far more of a, a prosperous transaction, right? Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So let's dig into that a little more, Thomas. So when you think about like the last five or 10 ISV deals that you've done, right? Why do they partner with Payark? I mean, honestly, because I'm kind of curious about this trend, what you're saying, you know, is it about distribution is it about they want to monetize payments is it about they want a better tech stack i mean what why why are isvs are just like all over the map like what are you seeing for isvs what's their rationale for partnering so i think dis- distribution is important um monetization i think i have more of those discussions that it, at least it starts there um yes. I'd, I'd say you know when talking to a, a, new, a new opportunity i'm definitely repping my team's goals uh, to discuss co-branding co-sponsoring initiatives with new ISP partners at events, at trade shows, you know, whatever it may be, right. um, as well as our ability to, as I mentioned, showcase um, on our agent partner pages these new these these new um, integrated offerings, um, and just the associated markets that each of these partners serve, like a knowledge hub, right? Um, and so, for any interested agent who wants to participate in partner expansion efforts, you know, they can go target those those niche markets that are overlapped with the ISP. So, right. distribution's definitely a conversation point. Um, I'd say monetization. Um, a payments revenues, right, um, is equally, if not more important, um, just depending on who you're talking to. But uh, it's, it's bigger than that, you know, coupled with partner support and the ability to scale mm-hmm. with some of these companies. I'm finding that's a big discussion, too. I think there's a lot of flashy, shiny providers out there that are really big on the front. But as far as execution, right, um, getting them to the implementation cycle, supporting them, growing with them. Um, and, you know, and then the ability to, you know, also provide a menu of tools and connectivity options. And that could be anything from, you know, uh, real time white label client processing dashboards, analytics, data, frictionless onboarding APIs, speed to market, flexibility of like a payment facilitator right. you know, with the money movement and, you know, all the things that kind of come with that. 
you know, I think those have to go hand in hand with yeah. a competitive economic structure. Because if you're just giving away the farm with huge revenue shares, but you can't support and scale it on the back end, then it's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I like it. I like it. So, all right. So let's let's shift gears just a little bit. I want to talk about the agent side. So we talked about the partnership with the tech. How do we get the agents engaged? And my my question first is, what are the challenges that they face? We alluded to it a little bit with the ISO side, but when you look at the individual agent, they have been more transactional in the past. Not all of them. A lot of them have made this transition, but the ones who are still making that transition, what are why are they having such a challenge? Why is it so difficult a lot of times to get these these 1099 agents to engage and start selling vertical specific tech? So I'll kind of give an example um, of kind of what I see just some of the software um, space doing and then kind of segue into kind of what I think the payment space is doing. So I, I, you know, obviously with a lot of the innovation we're seeing in these frictionless or near frictionless core business management systems, SaaS platforms focused on business process optimization, they're blowing up across all these different industries. Um, you know, with the aim to right, kind of try to remove these stutter points across their systems, all designed, you know, for business productivity, for enhanced and consumer experience. Um, I think this growing trend, you know, with these types of platforms, it translates nicely to what we're seeing in payment space. That's a rise in more tech-centric payment processors. Um, these, these processors are offering and really touting, I'm talking at you know, top of the page, um, embedded low friction tools to meet consumers where they want to meet and want to pay. Um, you know, so whether it's it's coding into big wallets like Apple Pay within their gateways or an actual, you know, in, embedded payments or invoicing module, like inside of a, a dental practice management system, uh, for example, or or some type of like an accounts receivable system, um, or even offering like a white label mobile app with like an integrated payments feature. The consumer's driving the demand. And I think the smart ISOs, the smart ISVs, their agents, these tech companies, um, they're the guys that are partnering together, they're they're absolutely killing it. Um, if they're playing in this space correctly, I think you know these guys coming together, looking for sticky solutions, looking for problem solving, less you know just widget based focus, um, connecting these systems together, you're reducing friction, you're winning the business. So you know honestly, I think you know the days of you know a payment processing company kind of solely focused on on the terminal, on the widget base or card present sales only. Um, you know, I think it's kind of behind us at the very least, that might be extreme, but at the very least, I think they're definitely losing out on a lot of sales if they're not also focused on those things. So, yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. I, I think, um, you know, one of the follow-ups I'd have to that would be, there's not a lot of talk in the industry. I feel like I talk about it all day long, every day, but there's not a lot of talk in the industry at, uh, publicly about the, the actual pricing models of, of how to make this work. And I think that's one of the issues is that nobody really talks about, how do you actually do one of these deals? So I think we kind of have these, the, we have the two extremes that make a lot of sense to everybody. One extreme would be an ISB, they come to you, they want to do payment processing, you have the right APIs and the right infrastructure to facilitate that. They have their own distribution channel, they're selling their own accounts and you're sharing revenue. Everybody understands that, right? Um, then you have the other extreme, which is the tech company that comes, their processor agnostic, all they want to make is the software fees and they're coming to you primarily for agent and, and you know distribution. And the agent and, and your company, you know, you get all your normal residual kind of revenue from the payment processing. The tech company gets the revenue. Everybody goes home happy. Where I'm not seeing a lot of work is this the partnership where this is shared. So a, a, an ISV comes in and it's like, you know, I'm just curious if you've had any success in this. I don't know, honestly, <laughs> anybody that's done very well with this yet. I, I We have to figure it out at some point. But like, are you having success with the ISV that's saying, okay, they're the ISV, they're coming to you for payments, and they're willing to give a big chunk to the agent and vice versa. The agent's willing to sell for the ISV, even though the agent's only getting 30% because the ISV is getting it. Like, is that working right. for you? 
It's that's such a good. It's it's such a it is a challenge still, right? I mean, I think that's kind of why you see so many you know payment processors wanting to keep hold of of those ISV sales to their direct team. They can keep it internally because it's just less hands in the in the jar, right? But you know, we are seeing some success here. And again, I think it's such a really really good good question. You do have a finite size of the revenue pie that can go around. Right. Uh, in, in in what you're really talking about here, in in sort of, do you really see success in having both the agent playing in the space as well as the ISV? Because uh, you're, you're talking about having an agent channel drive yet another referring entity to a processor, right? So you have this multiplayer component, yeah. Uh, and so it's just super super difficult. But you know, I feel given the size of some of the agent channels, um, the agent footprint that some of these ISOs wield, uh, pay our, I mean, we have quite a few agents, just for example, um, a lot of these guys have a huge agent force. I think they should absolutely be considered as a worthwhile distribution channel of, you know, for bringing in that many more ISV opportunities, right, to the parent processor that my direct team may not otherwise um, have the opportunity to grab without the existence of that specific agent's network or, that's, or, or you know, that player's relationship. So, the problem or the challenge, as you allude to, comes down to the economics, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you want those boots on the ground. You've got that big of a big, much bigger of a net to kind of cast. But how are you taking care of all those hands, right? I think yeah. one way I'd say to look at this, um, and it's not reinventing the wheel. It's just it's something that is that is that has worked for us. Is is kind of refining your go forward agent offering, right, within your schedule A's, right? You have one mm. schedule A. And this is what I've, I've done this before. One schedule A for. Um, you know, the direct to merchant deals, one schedule A for the ISV relationships. Um, I right. definitely think, you know, even some of your more seasoned existing agents, right? These these guys may be sending deals elsewhere. Uh, I think they would even also entertain the idea of a separate schedule A, depending on how the ISO weights their incentives, right? right. Um, you could have sort of yeah. this volume, shared volume tiered approach where we're sharing more collectively of one and the other. Yeah. Um, we, you know, some 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 players uh, like to dabble in the higher risk space. Maybe you're kind of laxing some of your, right. um, you know, those types of parameters and bringing a little bit more high risk business. I've seen some success in that um, on the direct merchant side. If that player is sending me some ISV deals, for example, um, and I mentioned kind of waiting volumes, but you know, yeah. the point is there are definitely some creative levers I think processors can pull between direct to merchant agent perks. And the IS and 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 ISV agent perks, that is that the the ISVs the agents have brought over. Right. I think attract these 1099s to go out and seek some of these ISV deals. And then those guys, of course, they're getting paid through penetration of the ISV relationship. So you want them to to produce merchant referrals. Um on the other side, I think is a neat perk. And this is when talking about uh the organic ISV deals. That is, you know, my direct team has gone after we've won some of these deals. Right. We're repping them, we're advertising, et cetera. How would you flex agent dis distribution, right? So that's a challenge, right? How do you get them to care and to want to go after and be kind of vertical specific and, and maybe leverage some of your existing relationships to win some of those yeah. deals? Yeah. Um, so, and that's a little bit of a challenge too. So the nature, as I mentioned earlier, of the relationship kind of precludes the processor from, from directing their sales initiative. So what I found to kind of work is, again, developing tighter relationships and investing resources in your agents, highlighting opportunities to target specific verticals that overlap with your ISP partners, um, you know, offering up new clients and merchant accounts, um, you know, to both entities. I think there, there are really creative ways to kind of get those guys engaged, but it's, it definitely starts with like a relationship with your agent for sure. And well, I think, schedules. you know, I think one, one really interesting thing about this to me is <clears throat> the, 
both the ISO and the ISBs in these situations, they tend to have this very like myopic view of their business. And they don't think broadly about what they could do together. So like, I'll give you a really good example of this. Um, I had a conversation with a really big ISB a couple of months ago. And it was kind of like, oh, the agent channel, right? <clears throat> nah, I don't know about that. Okay, I said, well, wait a second. So I said, what's your average cost of acquisition right now? You know, take your online, you know, they're doing the paid online advertising is generating a lead. You have a the payroll for the salesperson, the commission for the salesperson. What is your cost of acquisition? And they said $6,000. Okay, wow. I said $6,000. Think about wow. that. $6,000. Now this is, they sell larger merchants with what they right. do. They're, they're still, that's a lot of money, right? But $6,000. I mean, that's, <laughs> this is what their investors are willing to pay. And I said, let me, let me tell you something. Let me, let me give you a secret. I said, do you realize that straight commission agents, if you gave them a 25% split and $5,000 up front, do you think they would sell your solution? Right. You just right. saved yourself a thousand dollars. Right. So I think what's interesting is the flow of capital. And I think there's a shift where the technology companies and the investors and private equity firms that are behind them, they tend to favor more of an upfront cost approach because they have the capital. Whereas right. the ISOs are so used to this, oh, we don't want to pay anything for an account. Oh my goodness, our cost of acquisition, if it's above 500 bucks, we did something wrong. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, but you're paying out this huge percentage of the long-term profit. So I think what's interesting is for the agent, the ISO, and the ISV, when they come together and think about what they each care about, there are these compromises that can be made. And I think actually we're going to see, I mean, I know because I'm going to make it happen <laughs> in some, some extent, but in 2023, we're going to see a lot of these really unique programs where <clears throat> I think the ISOs, the ISVs, and the agents are going to start to understand, well, wait a minute, there's more than one way to skin this cat, right? Like we can all kind of get what we want. And then what happens for the agent that they don't a lot of times understand is the lifetime value of these accounts are so much higher than their little terminal account that actually 25% is actually worth 60% on their normal schedule because the account's going to stay so much longer. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens it's three times easier to sell because you're selling a targeted solution to maybe an underserved vertical. So I think there's a lot of variables, right, that uh, still have to be discussed. Yeah, and that's that's a great point of just, of just, just the, I mean, sit down, back in the napkin math, you got some creativity there that you can really kind of deploy there. And you're not missing out on a big opportunity with with a huge you know distribution channel that many of these ISOs already have. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's let let's talk about the individual rep for a minute. Um, you know, what would you what what advice would you have? What counsel would you have for them in terms of working with companies like yours to build you know strong portfolios focused on tech? What are some maybe some of the you know traditional beliefs that need to be changed? or new insights that you might be able to share with them? Sure. Uh, I, you know, I'd say, you know, first of all, set the bar high. There's a lot of options at this point <laughs> for all these, you know, for yeah. for uh, processors that can that can host a, a, a pretty competitive experience for you. Um, you know, and, and that's for both direct business as well as ISV business. I'd say, you know, make sure that, you know, as an agent, let's talk from that perspective, make sure that agent communication, service and support, I say that even ahead of economics, um, mm -hmm. data availability um, in the format of availability, you know, make sure they have robust APIs that got dashboards, portals, um, all these things, right, um, need to exist. Make sure that your partner has a robust underwriting and risk platform flexible with your desired targets of business. And that could be more traditionalistic full service models that could be payment facilitator, um, right? You want to make sure that, 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 that these offerings are clear. 
Um, obviously, you want to make sure that the tech offering is sound, um, of, of course. Um, I think these these should be top considerations for an ideal partner, kind of first and foremost. I'd also say, you know, as I mentioned earlier, not only think about the sales process, so the front end, but think about the back end, what's happening after the sale. I think it's so important that, you know, again, not to be distracted by some of the the these newer companies, and a lot of them have wonderful things to offer, but very flashy, very shiny, very sales focused, and they make the sale know it happens, right? It's like, it's a clunky experience through the implementations uh, process. So you want to make sure that that, that process is sound and secure. Uh, you want to look for scalability, as I mentioned earlier, visibility. And and and, and again, most importantly, I, I, I really believe this, you want to have the support infrastructure and, and transparency in the data there as an agent. Um, you know, as far as incentives, make sure that they're flexible. You've got a good referral program in place for both the direct and the ISV pieces, and that you've got a dedicated channel there that's focused on on, on growing that, uh, growing that you know distribution through the agent side, providing a lot of education, providing knowledge hubs, providing literature on the integrated partners that they have, um, and, and then again, as I mentioned, you know, uh, decent economics and trying to figure out kind of the best model. As James mentioned, you know, whether it's kind of an upfront kind of spiff structure. Um, or a shared structure, I think that some of these savvy groups can be very, very creative and they can accommodate uh, various models. Um, and, and then, you know, mostly I'd say kind of consider, you know, and this is, I didn't coin this, has been said before, but this, this, this war against friction, this is really where I feel the industry is heading. Yeah. Um, you know, it can consider the best partner um, that can kind of help you navigate and support you through that space. Love it. Well, Thomas, I- Excellent we can... advice. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I was going to say, we could uh, continue this conversation, I'm sure, for another couple of hours. But uh, what, what I want to do before we let you go, I definitely want to share some information on how they can learn more. I'm, uh, you, know, you shared a lot of insights. Maybe there's partners out there that are saying, I'm looking for a company where I can bring ISVs. Maybe there's agents that are saying, I want a, a company that has that focus on ISV so that I can partner and add distribution. Where would they go to learn more about PayArc and about you? So uh, I'll give two places. I'm not afraid of giving my direct information. I'll do uh, um, Thomas at payarc.com is just an easy way to get a hold of me. Obviously, uh, payarc.com. That's um, www.payarc.com. And then uh, my 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 team, um, you can also shoot them an email. It's isvsales at payarc.com. And payarc is P-A-Y-A-R-C. That's correct. Right. Awesome. Thomas, thank you so much for your insights. I knew it would be a great conversation. Didn't disappoint. Uh, just love this topic and really appreciate what you're doing in the industry as well. So thanks for sharing that with us today. Yeah, James, really insightful. Same here, Patty. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, guys. Take care. So, Patty, I want to take just a minute uh, to do something I don't normally do, but I, I actually want to promote an upcoming piece of content that you and I are going to be doing, and that's going to be on the 2023 trends and how to really um, put technology at the center of your strategy. Yeah. Um, and so this is going to be a merchant sales insight that I'm doing. It's all sponsored by NMI, which I'll talk more about in a second. <clears throat> but I share uh, not only the the what I see as the five major trends that are coming in 2023 that we should be aware of, but also I actually give specific questions that you should be asking uh, among yourselves with your team, or if you're an individual agent, you should be asking yourself. Um, and Patty, I got this idea because I have brought my team out to my office here in Hollidaysburg, Pennsylvania, uh -huh. and we met my key leaders. And this is the discussion that we had. And I had this whole agenda and we asked all these questions and we came up with some really interesting directions for our company. Oh, cool. And I thought, you know what? I need to tweak this a little bit and share it so that ISOs, ISVs, um, you know, point of sale companies, tech providers, anybody involved in the payment space 
can look at these trends. And then we're going to have a podcast coming up about that. It'll actually be the, um, you know, uh, the podcast coming up talking about that uh, as well. So just be aware of that. We got the 2023 trends coming out and all that is sponsored by NMI. Why is it sponsored by NMI? Because if you're an ISO, you have a really difficult decision to make in 2023. You know, hopefully at this point you're saying, we have to adopt technology and make it a core part of our strategy. Mm-hmm. So now your question becomes, do we buy or build? Yes. Do we hire five developers full-time at $200,000 a year and build it? Or do you turn to an or, expert like NMI? Exactly. And with NMI now, that because of their acquisitions, their 2022 acquisitions mm-hmm. with Agreement Express and Iris, right? they have this kind of full stack. And so I think developing that relationship with them Mm-hmm. And, and integrating with them and implementing what they have available is going to be a really great step in the right direction. And I, I think over 2023, as, as VJ and the, the team at, at NMI kind of fulfill their vision of bringing these companies together with integration, I think you're going to see some pretty cool technology solutions that are available. Yeah. Uh, so head over to NMI.com or IrisCRM.com and uh, learn more about their Agreement Express acquisition as we talked about last week. And uh, I think you're really going to be impressed with what they have to offer. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you're an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field, with James Shepard. So, Patty, I really enjoyed our conversation already with Thomas. Um, yeah. Obviously, lots of hot button issues there for me that I want to talk more about. So, I thought right. I'll just continue. Uh, Let's just continue it on, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, first of all, I think one of the big one of the big things I, I've been realizing is that the ISBs have just been positioned poorly in the mind of the agent. Mm. What I mean by that is. The agents, I think they understand, you know, the individual agents in our audience, you understand kind of the idea of I'm going to go get an ISV and get them to board their business with me. But the idea that you would sell ISV services through a relationship with your ISO where you're kind of all getting a piece of this pie and your piece is going to be significantly smaller. Mm-hmm. That's a problem, right? Now, here's what I find. On the so, surface, significantly smaller, yes, right? Yes, right, right, <laughs> right. The percentage itself is going to be smaller. The dollar amount, not so much over time right. and definitely not the valuation of it. But I think what's interesting is to use more of a familiar example. If you are an agent and I came to you and said, there is a business attorney or a business accountant in your local market and they uh, have all of these clientele, right? People that trust them. And there are all these other businesses in the community that are reaching out that need a CPA. And they would like to partner with you to provide their services together with your payment processing. And you're going to get a percentage of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. it's a referral relationship. Right. But the difference is with the ISV the agent is still doing the distribution. So they're still going out and they're selling. But what the agents don't understand is how much easier it is to sell those solutions. And what I can tell you from experience with my own software companies and and other consulting relationships is that, you know, if you go to like a a pretty deep kind of narrow vertical, Mm -hmm. selling a software solution in that context is so much easier than selling door-to-door terminals or right. or even generalized 
stations, you know, of, of point of sale systems that are more generalized. Like when you're, you know, reaching out over the phone or via email marketing or Facebook marketing or, you know, hire some telemarketers from Upwork or whatever it is, and you're going after a really specific niche, especially a card not present niche, maybe mm-hmm. a little insight there. Um, it's just a lot easier. I don't know right. the way to put it. And so, so to, the way to run the math on this, what people don't understand is let's say that I've got, let's say I'm an agent and let's say that I've got four hours a day to prospect. Okay. Okay. And my four hours a day currently is netting me an average of, you know, 10 accounts per month. So I do four hours okay. every day. Okay. I'm getting about 10 accounts a month. The average account is generating, you know, a uh, profitability of, let's say, I'm, let's say I'm getting a hundred dollars in residual and I have a, let's say I have a 60% split. Mm-hmm. So I'm just throwing weird random numbers out. I've got a 60% split, which is getting me a hundred dollar average residual. And I'm, I'm selling 10 accounts a month. So my residual is growing by um, $600 a month, right? Um, or wait, what am I, what did I, what did I say? I said 10 and a hundred dollars. It's growing by a thousand dollars a month. I'm selling 10 right. accounts, hundred dollars okay. a month. So it's growing by a thousand dollars a month. Well, if you partnered with an ISV and you spent that same four hours going after this really specific niche vertical, there are several things that would happen. First of all, you would go from selling 10 a month to selling 20. Right. With the same time investment. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden that the fact that maybe you're only getting a 30% split instead of 60, but it's actually break even. Right. Because you're you're getting half the revenue split, but you're getting double Twice the sales. The number of, because it, so your residuals are still growing by the same thousand dollars a month. However, even that's a little bit deceptive because in actuality, your residuals in, if you choose the vertical correctly, your residuals are probably going to be higher than they usually are because the overall margin is going to be higher. So mm-hmm. you're getting 30%, but maybe the average merchant with this vertical you're targeting because it's vertical specific software, maybe you're going after slightly larger businesses and they're doing an average of a hundred thousand a month in volume versus 25 or 30. So now all of a sudden there's an increase. Number two, the pricing pressure is pretty much gone. Right. So maybe you're already selling dual pricing. So that's great. You don't have to worry about that. But the idea would be if you're selling kind of traditional processing there, well, when you're talking about the technology solution, all of a sudden the, the pressure, and even those of you selling dual pricing are already hearing the calls for, well, now we want it at 3% instead of four. Well, you don't have that when you're selling for the ISV. You say, well, we do it at four. Right. That's what it is. You're using our software. This is what it is. And, and that's going to be fine. And that all that, a lot of that pricing pressure basically goes away as you're selling the merchant. So you have no pricing pressure, basically. It's twice as easy to make the sale in a lot of cases, right? But your rev share is smaller. But then the final piece of it is when you eventually go to retire or borrow against your portfolio or sell your portfolio, you're all of a sudden going to find out that instead of your portfolio being worth a 20X, it's worth a 45X. Right. And the reason is because you have this integrated technology solution. And now the, the buyer knows these merchants are never going to cancel. Right. Because they're integrated into this software. And so that's a core integral part of running their business. So I just want to kind of throw that out there today for the for the agent specifically to kind of start thinking as you look at 2023, you need an open mind to look at uh, opportunities relative to technology. Don't right. just look at it and say, well, my resident, my current residual split is 80%. Why would I ever accept 35% to sell for an ISV that's also partnered with my processor? Well, the reason is because it's a lot easier to sell the residuals are going to be, the margin's going to be higher. The pricing pressure is going to be gone and your portfolio is going to be worth a lot more in the and you're long gonna run. you get more clients. Exactly. Yeah. So 
that's my thought. And I just think uh, we need a, a little bit more of an open mind there. I have a lot of other thoughts for ISVs and, and ISOs on this, but we'll talk about that in another episode. <laughs> That'll be, you know, as the year goes on, we will talk yes. about that yes. some more. Thanks, right. James. That was really great. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, it's worth noting that merchants have been ringing up record sales. And if this trend continues, you know, the residual checks you're going to get this month are going to look really nice. Yeah, <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, I mean, it always is a great time of year, but I think this year is going to be especially good just yeah. based on some of the uh, data that I've seen. Um, a record 196.7 million Americans hit the stores or shopped online during the five-day holiday shopping season that began Thanksgiving Day. That's mm. according to the National Retail Federation. Wow. Of that number, nearly 123 million shopped at brick and mortar stores, mm. which is up from last year significantly, yeah. about 20%. I would imagine. Now, MasterCard Spending Pulse, which measures both online and in-store spending across different types of payments, found in-store sales were up 10.5% over 2021 on Thursday, that being Thursday, November 24th, which was Thanksgiving, um, through Sunday of that weekend. Now, um, online spending on Black Friday was about $9.1 billion, according to Adobe Analytics. On Cyber Monday, it was $11.3 billion. So you put that all together. Wow. With what, yeah. Really? So, you know, Cyber you put, Monday beat Black Friday. Yes. I wonder if that's a, if that's a first. I don't, I'm, I, yeah, that'd be um, see. It did not say it was a first. Oh, that's pretty cool. But, you know, when you think about that, just online shopping on two days was $20 billion. Wow, that's crazy. Two of the, you know, of the five days yeah. of that particular, quote unquote, shopping holiday. Yeah. Now, I also check with American Express because, of course, they do the small business Saturday thing. Right. Um, They say that uh, consumers spent close to 18 billion both online and in person at small businesses. Wow. Hmm. Which also included restaurants, we should note. Right. Right. Which, according to uh, MasterCard, um, were one of the biggest spending categories during Thanksgiving weekend. Really? Uh, I guess people had to go out and eat after they got done shopping. Wow. That's, I know, usually, the, that's usually the lowest part of my spending over the Thanksgiving right? weekend. Right? Exactly. Because I'm like so, I'm like so filled up from Thanksgiving. I don't want to yeah. eat out. You know? right. Maybe, um, maybe you know what it probably is? Probably everybody's so tired of cooking that the next day they say, we're we're buying pizza today or we're getting Or, or the day after. You know, <laughs> the next day they eat the leftovers. The day after. The day like, after. Right, we're yeah. tired of this. Let's <laughs> go out. Yeah. So uh, NRF um, was predicting that when all was said and done, retail sales during the 2022 year-end holiday season would total somewhere near $950 billion. Wow. Which is about a 7% increase over 2021. And per person uh, spending was expected to average about $832. Hmm. Now the consultancy Deloitte had an even more optimistic set of projections. Uh, They said in-store spending would account for 35% of all holiday spending this year, Hmm. up from 33%. 
And um, half of all shoppers, this was the stat I really liked, half of all shoppers will use a smartphone for at least some of their shopping. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. I I've already, that I've already really used mine probably 15 times for shopping. So I right. I, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on my computer. But, you know, I have nieces and right. nephews who are in their 30s and 40s. And when I talk to them, they pull out their phone and they pull up the stuff that I'm looking at online. So I yeah. guess that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, all of this to say, you know, I'm not an economist, but I have been around long enough to see a fair number of wild economic swings, you know. Yeah. I'm talking about sky high inflation when mortgage rates were north of 18 percent and major recessions when unemployment rates were ventured into double digit territory. And that was just the 1980s. Um, <laughs> so, right. so I'm a little perplexed by all the dire predictions I hear, you know, in the same Newsfeed that I saw some of this data that I just shared with you all. I heard um, reports of a coming recession and of coming inflation. Um, that's like in a single day, you know? Right. And, you know, I don't think anybody knows for sure what direction the economy is headed, but I think that these numbers about the year end holiday shopping, coupled with strong jobs reports and GDP, which we've seen this month um, in December are all good signs as we prepare for the new year in merchant services. Yeah, I agree. And I think one of the things I thought of, Patty, when you were sharing these stats is that if you're an agent and your residuals don't take a huge jump either, you know, it'd either be the residuals get paid at the end of January or beginning of February. If you don't see a really, really significant increase, you're doing take something a, wrong. Yeah, take a step back and say, wait, 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 wait. What is my portfolio made of? Because right. if you're not taking a big jump, you're probably not going after card not present merchants. Mm -hmm. You're probably not in the e-commerce game at all. Mm -hmm. um, and if you do have physical location, you're probably not helping them with delivery and pickup options because yeah. it, there is growth across the board. So if you're not seeing the growth, that's because your portfolio is not an accurate representation of the future of the economy. And the future of the economy is omnichannel. Yeah, no question. 100%. Yeah. Good stuff, Patty. Thanks for sharing that. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of Greensheet.com and CCSalesPro.com, and we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.